All right, you guys, episode 78 with Megan Calloway is about to start, and I just want to say that she is officially launched her pull-up program, and Megan is a dear friend of mine that I told her that the moment she would release this, I would gladly give her a little sales pitch at the beginning of the episode. So if you are interested in improving your pull-up game, I highly recommend you go into the show notes of this episode and the link will be there to go get it. And this episode is amazing like every other. Uh, We get into what makes someone better at pull-ups and what to do. And we also get really deep and personal with Megan about her life, and I'm not going to spoil anything, so let's just get right into the episode. Hopefully you enjoy it, and here we go. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Cut the Shit, Get Fit. I'm your host, Rafael Matuszewski, and joining me today is a very good friend, Megan Calloway. Say hello. Hello. (laughs) Perfect. So... I always like to break the ice with the audience. So what do you got planned for the weekend? Uh, work on my launch. Oh, and I'm meeting up. Do you know who uh, Nardia Norman is? No, but the name sounds familiar from somewhere. She's from Australia. Her podcast was the first one I did. And she's in town with her husband, I think. And I feel so horrible because she's here just in time for this rain. <laughs> That's too bad. It's like you want to like show off Vancouver in the best way possible. It's like, nope, it's raining. <laughs> it's horrible. And so I have that. I have soccer on Sunday and mainly just launch. That's awesome. Launch um, prep. What about you? Uh, honestly, it's going to be a lot of work. And Saturday, I'm going to try not to work because like, my wife uh, started a, a new shift on Saturdays where she's gone from like nine to six. So I'm like really hoping that I'm not going to, I'm going to put my, like my laptop somewhere where it's going to take a lot of effort to get to. And I'm just going to try to watch a movie. <laughs> Leave it in your car. Yeah, that's a good one. I would get too lazy to actually go to my garage and <laughs> go into my car. <laughs> it's like, if it's more than five steps, yeah, it's not going to happen. <laughs> Me too. Um, so for the audience, can you tell them who you are, what you do and how did you get into this industry? Okay. Well, I've been a strength coach for over 14 years. Uh, this October was my 14th. Um, got into the industry. I've always loved fitness, always loved working out. And at first, I was your typical person who thought, oh, easy job. I can work in a gym, be in gym clothes. Then I kind of learned if you want to be good, it involves so much work, so much learning. And I also discovered I can truly make a difference. And that's when my passion really grew. Um, I've played soccer for 26 years. I also, um, I guess use my athletic background to help with what I do. I write, I go on podcasts sometimes. I love pull-ups and I'm sure we'll be talking about that. I love animals. Uh, try to think what else. I mean, I'm sure we'll cover most of it throughout the show. Um, so how did you get in soccer in the first place? Well, funny enough, when I was seven when we moved to Vancouver my mom put me in synchronized swimming and I absolutely hated it and I was horrible (laughs) I was so bad so I think I failed the class and I quit anyway so she discovers or for me socially she thought soccer would be good so she put me in and I never looked back that's awesome so where where were you before you moved to Vancouver I was in Burlington which is on in Ontario and it's kind of a suburb so bad I haven't been there in so long (laughs) 
it's, I want to say, an hour away from Toronto, but don't quote me on that. (laughs) (laughs) All the people from Toronto are listening like, oh, come on. (laughs) It's horrible. I'm due to go back. I for sure will go back to Toronto, probably not to Burlington, but yeah, so lived there, born in Oakville, lived in Burlington until grade three, and then I moved to Vancouver. I've been there only once, and I've had the worst experience, and... (laughs) So what happened was I was going to Jamaica and we had a layover in Toronto for about eight hours. And my wife and I decided that, hey, we're going to go explore the city. What can we do? And we're like, okay, we're going to go see like Niagara Falls. So we decided that we're going to go rent a car, drive out there. And by the time we come back, our you know flight would be ready to go. So we fly to Toronto. We go to where all the car rental area is. And I think I went into like... I think Alamo and Enterprise, they were like in the same little like booth almost. Yeah. And I walk in and they have like a small little office and it's like literally you walk in the front door and you take five steps and the person at the desk is right in front of you. I walk in and no one says anything to me. And I'm like, okay, this is weird. So I go up to the guy and I'm like, hey, I just want to rent a car. He's like, we're out. I'm like, "Uh, like, what do you mean? He's like, we have no cars. I'm like, all right. So then I like turn over to Alamo. So yeah, I went to Enterprise first and I was like, okay, what about you guys? They're like, we're the same company. I'm like, all right. And then it turned out like we were in Toronto a Tuesday at 7 a.m. And I don't know how all the cars were gone because we went to every other rental place. Same story. I'm like, okay, that's weird. And then we ended up going to like the concierge in the airport to be like, hey, this is how much time we have. What do you think we should do? And then the lady goes, there's pamphlets over there. I'm like, why is everyone so mean <laughs> in Toronto? I picked like the worst day. <laughs> but anyway, that's a little tangent on t- my first experience in Toronto. I'm still going to give it a second shot. <laughs> Go. I've heard it's really amazing. I was so young. So I remember the CAN Tower. I went to Blue Jays games, but that's all I remember. I think Vancouver might be a little bit better. I might get like some flack on that, but I think Vancouver's <laughs> a little bit better. I'll plead the fifth. I won't say anything. <laughs> yeah. Um, what was going to go with that? I totally went off, but um, Toronto, Vancouver. Toronto. Um, going into how you got into the industry when you were saying that you were, you know, realized how hard it takes to actually become a good coach. Did you ever have like an experience where? You've seen other coaches in the industry, they kind of go into it for like a year and then they realize, oh shit, this is actually hard work and they end up quitting. Do you ever have that before? I have. uh, This girl that I was involved with years ago, uh, she was also a coach. She was very flaky. So with her, she, I mean, she would show up late all the time. She did not do the greatest job and she wondered why her clients left her all the time and she worked for herself. So she was just complaining about how hard it is and how impossible it is to make money. And it's like, well, no, you're just not very responsible. So that, I mean, that's one example and I probably shouldn't have said that, but, uh, so there's that, um, it just takes so much learning. And I find that so many people, they educate themselves by reading a lot of the fitness magazines that aren't necessarily the greatest, or they just look on Instagram and see the typical people on Instagram. And there's so much more to learning and bettering yourself than that. But the problem is a lot of these people, a lot of the top coaches are not household names. So, I mean, I've had friends, I've had clients and like you ask, um, name a coach or like a trainer or whatever, 
and they'll say Jillian Michaels, Tracy Anderson, like people like that. But then if you were to name somebody, I mean, there's so many different people I could name, but say like Tony Gentlecore, uh, Ben Bruno, I mean, he's more popular now. They have no idea. Yeah, definitely. Or or I could name some females as well, because there's so many amazing female coaches who often are overlooked. And that's a tough thing in our industry. It's like, you know, they market it so well that, hey, you can make $100 an hour. And then everyone's like, oh, yeah, I should totally become a trainer. And they get into like, you know, a big box gym and they realize how shitty it is and how many hours you have to put in and they end up quitting and they might give like a really crappy service to somebody. And that's another interesting thing is like every time I get a new client, I always ask them, like, have you ever had a trainer before? And they have all said yes. I love it when they say yes. My eyes light up because for me, I mean, it's no secret. The industry itself is not necessarily the best. There are a lot of coaches out there who aren't maybe necessarily the most educated, experienced. And um, it's fun kind of helping people relearn what to do when they've been taught so many bad habits or beliefs. So for me, that's really fun. Um, One of my experiences, so when I was new to the industry, I started out at Fitness World just for a year. And this, I think, is why the burnout is so high. I worked probably 10, sometimes 10 hours a day. I started really early, worked a bunch of hours of workout. Then I'd go home, try to recover, and I'd come back at night it was just exhausting. And I was making such, I think my hour, I don't know what I was making at the time, but it was so low that I was pretty much living like in poverty while working the craziest number of hours. So I do think that's why a lot of younger people burn out. And yeah. I'm glad I kept going. Yeah, it's tough. Cause it's like, you start out and you're like, Oh, I got a new client. And then they want like some ridiculous time. And you're like, whatever, I'll take it. And you just take on all these different clients and you end up yes. like, working at 10 or 12 hours and you're like, what have I done? And then oh, I t- totally yeah. learn. Oh, sorry. I interrupted you. It's okay. I was just going to say, and then you're like, Oh, I still have to like keep up my education. I need to work out. I need to eat. I need to sleep. And you're like, I don't know if I can give anymore. <laughs> Seriously. But one of the best things I learned, like when I first started out, I'm like, Oh yeah, like I'll take anybody at any time. So you're essentially working the same number of hours, but it's totally spread out. Now I am so strict with when I work and I have the same number of hours or maybe less now because I am taking less people in person, but I'm making way more money. My schedule is way more efficient. And now I have all this time I can learn for my working out, for my online, for my writing. So it's all about kind of setting your schedule and sticking to it. And people will respect that. Actually, this would be a good thing to get into is looking back in your career when you first started what would you have changed now knowing what you know today? I would not have said yes to taking everybody. Because, I mean, when you're new, you need the money. You will take any person who wants to work with you. Sometimes you aren't best suited to work with that person. They might not be the best fit for you. So I found back in the day, not anymore, you're almost like I did the best I could. But you're clock watching. You're trying to fill the hour rather than how do I say this? Yeah, you're trying to fill the hour versus everything kind of just flowing naturally. Yeah. So that's one thing. I'm way more selective. If I don't think somebody will be a fit, I will say no. Um, I probably, I haven't very often, but I would have fired clients sooner. I did have, and like this whole Me Too thing, 
I never wrote about it, but I did have a fair number of male clients who would hit on me more when I was younger, made me feel very uncomfortable. Some were really inappropriate. Some meant well. I would have fired some of them a long time ago, but because I needed the money and I was essentially taking anybody at that time, I just dealt with it and I was uncomfortable. That's another thing. Um, trying to think. Other times, probably when I was younger, not as experienced, I could have referred out more and I did not, or at least not as much as I could have. Yeah. So that's another example. Uh, I'm just trying to think. I mean, there's so many different examples I could, I'm sure if I thought about it for much longer, I could come up with. Yeah. But you know, what's interesting is that whole um, topic of like firing clients, because I've we've discussed this. Yeah, we, we did when we met for coffee. But like, it's so interesting that, you know, almost every coach has a different perspective on it. And I think what I came to a conclusion with is like, as long as you know that you're not getting along with your client because his personalities are completely different, there's no yeah. like issues or anything like that, and you have an exit strategy for that client rather than kind of leaving them, you know, to dry and hope for the best. I oh, think totally. it's I think it's okay because like I think I told you I had an experience with another coach firing one of my online clients, and he uh, fired her over email and it was just like yeah good luck yeah that's bullshit <laughs> and I'm like come on like how <laughs> like how can you do that to a person like this person wants help from you and because they're not doing enough to your standard you're gonna be like yeah it's a waste of my time yeah that's an example of a, tra or a coach or trainer who makes it all about them it's not about the client yeah and that's a sign of a shitty coach as well in oh, my big opinion time. big time yeah because like you know, you're never going to have the perfect client. You might have like a couple, but everyone is hiring you because they're struggling with this. Like we've, yeah. we, we see this as easy because like we enjoy it. Whereas them, they wake up and they're like, oh, I need to go to the gym. But when they get there and they know they get to see you and you're like in a good mood and you're talking to them, the hour flies by really quick and they're like, oh, okay, that's not that bad. Totally. Um. So speaking about, how you got into the industry when what was kind of like the top three kind of coaches you followed that kind of influenced you know what you do today when i first started or yeah. now oh uh, my let's, god when let's, I first let's started, go first started <laughs> why what was it this is embarrassing oh my gosh i love back in the day i really did watch the biggest loser sometimes and i like jillian michaels yeah. and this is like a horrifying <laughs> thing to admit so her um Honestly, social media wasn't big back then. I mean, I'm old. I'm 37. So when I first started, I believe I was 20, just over or 23. So yeah, social media wasn't big. So I didn't know about any of these people, like all the good names. So it was mainly Jillian and Bob from Biggest Loser. That's awesome. And then all the coaches from Muscle. Oh my gosh, I can't remember their names, but Oxygen Magazine and all the different people in there. That was about it. But you know what's funny about that is like, Everyone rags on them, but I'm pretty sure if you dug into their careers or like an interview, they might have said something actually really good. So I remember when like P90X first came out and I like I looked into it and I'm like, this program's horrible. The guy's mm -hmm. kind of annoying, but he has <laughs> a lot of energy. And then like, 
you know, years come, went by and I remember signing up to an online webinar and he was one of the speakers. And I'm like, oh, wow, I'm like, this got to be good because like, you know, we had other big names in our industry and I was like, OK, I'm going to sign up and like listen to him. And I was like really curious to see what he was going to talk about. And he started talking about how our technology is all shifting to social media and how all coaches should actually take acting classes so you're comfortable on camera. And I'm like, holy shit, that's like really good advice. Because like there's some people that are really knowledgeable in our industry, but then you put a camera on them and they're like the most boring people ever. And they don't really want to make eye contact or they like read off a script. And it's like, you don't really want to watch that. Whereas like, you know, the Tony Horn, like if you watch him on a DVD, like he's really high energy. He knows how to work a camera. And I'm like, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's like they're actors. Yeah, because like that, that's his backstory. I think he went to L.A. to become an actor and he did personal training on the side. And then he had an opportunity to audition f- for like the main coach for P90X. And he got it because all the other trainers had no experience on camera. And I'm wow. like, that's really smart because now this guy's a multimillionaire from all the royalties he's making. And then the guy who did Tai Bo. Oh, yeah, yeah. That? yeah, yeah, him too. I don't know his name, that guy. Uh, Billy Banks, is that? Yeah, Billy Banks, I think oh, you're right. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Him, I'm trying to think. And then, of course, the, the 80s workout videos, which are, I mean, are still quite entertaining. <laughs> yeah, throwbacks, honestly. Um, so who do you follow right now? Like, who's the top three coaches that kind of influence the way you train today? Oh, that's impossible because I fall, I mean, so many more than top three. So even just naming them, I feel like I'm leaving so many people out. Uh, that probably will stump me because I really don't want to leave anybody out. Um, I mean, he's an easy one. I love Stu McGill. I love his work. Yeah. So I will say Stu. Oh, I could name so many. Tony Gentlecore, Dean Somerset. I love like Lee. Peel, absolutely, you know, Lee, like lovely yep. Peel, Kelly Hart. Like there's so many people that I love. Jen Sinclair. I could name so many. So I named more than three. <laughs> Nick Tuminello. Yeah. Um, I think for me, like, cause I was fortunate enough to find out what a podcast was when I first started in this industry and I found the FitCast. So yeah. like my influencers was like Kevin, Jonathan Fast, and Lee Peel in the beginning. Yes. And then I found out about Mike Boyle and I'm like, oh wow, like functional trading. What is this? Totally. So I was really happy that I stumbled upon that like podcast and I've made so many shout outs on this, po- my podcast to Kevin. Cause like without knowing he probably shaped a lot of coaches out there with great yeah. information. Like it's, it's just crazy. His show was fun to go. Actually, I think we pretty much only talked about pull-ups, but it was, I think it was a pretty popular show. Oh yeah. Which surprised me because I never know. And after I do podcasts, I try not to, but I always analyze what I said and beat myself up. I'm just like, oh, I should have said that. But I think I did okay. No, you did awesome. I actually listened to it (laughs) just to see how it went. But like, you know, podcasting and interviews, it just takes practice. Like if you've never done it before, you need to do it a lot more to get you know used to it but you're doing fine (laughs) excellent um but i wanted to move into the pull-up program because one i wanted to know why you wanted to write something like that and why do you feel like there's a need out there in the market for a pull-up program well i think for i mean i'm biased i love pull-ups but it is such a fun exercise to do it's so empowering it's so beneficial 
but so few people can do them, men and women. But unfortunately, um, my, my program is for both men and women, but so few females believe that they can. There's very, like, very few examples of females out there, social media, magazines, anywhere doing pull-ups. And a lot of females have been led to believe that they cannot. So, I mean, to me, this is totally um, untrue, insulting. And if people train for this exercise the right way, they should absolutely, I mean, barring, of course, if there's injuries, health issues, etc., they should be able to do at least one. So I thought it was really important to design something, treating the pull-up as a full-body exercise, because that is what it is, four phases, uh, wherever you are in your pull-up journey, you start from there, keep progressing, and the sky is the limit. I mean, you can really accomplish anything. Yeah. And it took me a long time to do this. Yeah, because I think, Program. honestly, yeah, like, pull-ups are such, if you look at the back, like, it's such a big muscle group, and then you get a client that can barely just hold on to the bar, and you're like, what the hell, like, this should not be an issue. Yeah. Kind of like how guys always skip leg day, and it's, like, yep. one of the biggest muscle groups in your body, too. So now we have all these individuals in the general population where they have weak legs and a weak back, and then you wonder why they have so many issues with joint problems and back problems it's like this is what we need <laughs> well even another thing uh, so many people over like they think it's an exercise for the ar even for the arms not the back so so many people overuse their arms underuse their back so they're either not able to do them or they can do them like with poor form and they often have elbow pain chronically tight or sore forearms so if you attack the exercise properly it, I mean, obviously, it makes such a difference in terms of performing it than also how your body feels. So I took that into consideration, and that motivated me just when I designed the program. Yeah, definitely. And I had uh, – I posted uh, this sometime this week. The week has been a blur. I posted a video of myself doing the two-finger ups. I don't know if you saw that. I saw it, but I wasn't able to, like, press play. But how, yeah. how, did, how did that go? Oh, it was, I mean, it's an old video, but I just posted it to prove that if you are performing pull-ups correctly, you, most of the work should be done. I mean, the, the muscles in your back should be doing most of the work. So many people use overuse their arms. So I just showed if you're using your back, your arms actually don't do that much. So I had a message on my Instagram from this guy in Australia. I stalked his profile just to see what his background was. <laughs> This really strong guy who could do a lot of really impressive exercises, but he said uh, he tried two finger pull-ups for the first time just for fun. He tried one arm using two fingers, the other regular, and he'd been experiencing elbow pain with pull-ups for a long time. He said once he incorporated the two finger pull-ups, the elbow pain was gone on the spot. So he'd obviously been overusing his arms. Interesting. Yeah, so that was kind of cool. Yeah, because I just had a client dealing with, like, elbow pain when he was doing pull-ups, too, and he went to go see Cairo, got laser treatment, and fixed it. But I also kind of wonder if it's a weakness that, you know, say his lats kind of fatigue first, and then it becomes an arm exercise. So do you have any, like, go-to assistant exercises to build Lots. up? Uh, name maybe a couple that you really like. <laughs> well, even before I get into that, so many people overuse their arms because they are not like when you perform the pull up, you essentially want to initiate the movement by drawing the shoulder blades in towards the spine and down towards the opposite hip. So you're using the muscles in your back. 
to initiate the movement. So many people initiate the movement with their arms and that's why either they can't do them or they have pain. So, I mean, scapula pull-ups are an example. It train, it forces you to use the scapula stabilizer, or I say scapula stabilizers, but I've changed the term. I refer to them as the muscles that control the movement of the shoulder blades. Mm-hmm. So control mobility. So scapula pull-ups are awesome for that. And they also build your grip strength and just ability to hang from the bar. That would be one. Um, I have some easier exercises uh, like scapular protraction, retraction with the bands. I have that. Got that from Tony and Dean's uh, shoulder and or hip and shoulder course. Yep. There's that. I mean, there's so many different pull-up regressions or other exercises that specifically key in on those muscles. And in each phase, I have progressively more challenging exercises that address that. Yeah, I think like one coaching cue I like to give to clients because like when you see them getting tired out, they like shrug their shoulders up and they're just like trying to make it over the bar and they're like reaching yep. with their neck. And I'm like, think of pulling your chest to the bar and like yeah. it changes the movement so much. And they're like, oh, this is so hard. I'm like, because you're doing it right. Yes, exactly. That's totally right. Uh, so there's that, um, just trying to think, even just teaching people how to do, like, I don't use it a lot. It is part of my program, but even band assisted pull-ups, if they are done properly and are just a small component of your training, they can be very effective just because they do allow you to focus on the scapular movement. You have to focus on your full body positioning, just keeping your, keeping the tension, but the problem is the band does provide assistance at the wrong time, or at least when most people do not need it. So with that exercise, the key is just focusing on the scapular movement, body positioning, and then going from there. Now, so that's one example, um, one of many examples, but it has to be just like a small piece of the puzzle, not everything. So I was gonna, And many people, that's all they do are the band-assisted pull-ups. Yeah, I was going to ask, like, what you, because there's different ways of doing the band-assisted pull-up where you can either, you know, tie it on the pull-up bar, have it straight down, put it in your foot, or you can put your knee in it. And then the other one I've seen is, like, if you have a squat rack or, like, a rogue uh, squat rack station, those little, like, J-hooks, you can, like, put a band across. Which one do you prefer? I prefer, I mean, what I, I like the most, the band hanging, and I like essentially like a modified or like a slight hollow body position. So it goes underneath your feet. No, I don't like the knees. Yeah. Yeah. So that's how I teach it. Yeah. I'm saying same way. Cause I find if you do the hollow position, like everything is working, like you don't eliminate yes. anything. Whereas I find when you cross the legs behind you, like a lot of people do, you kind of just have like dead weight hanging down from your feet and yes. it's, and it's, Yeah. But and then one of the biggest keys, like why I like the hollow body position or I not even necessarily a full hollow body, because that's kind of more like a banana. I call it a slight hollow body position. So you are it's kind of a cross between being in a completely vertical line and the hollow body. I like that because it does keep the tension. It keeps your body in the right position and it eliminates a lot of the swinging that tends to happen. So when people swing, if people don't know, rather than pulling your body up to the bar, like obviously the shorter the distance your body travels, the easier it will be to perform the one ex- or one rep or many. If you're swinging, rather than having a short, efficient line, it's now a long. So that's going to mean fewer reps. You're going to burn out sooner. It's just not efficient. 
Can, yeah. you, can you say that last bit a little bit? You were breaking up here and there. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no worries. Um, I was going to say um, the more stable you can keep your body, the less likely it will be to swing. So rather than pull it, or rather than having the body swinging and traveling to the bar in a longer and more efficient arc, it will travel in a shorter, more efficient line. So it's easier to perform one rep or many. Yeah. Definitely. Like obviously less time under tension, shorter distance to travel. I mean, it all makes sense, but so many people cannot stop themselves from swinging. And it largely in my program addresses this as well, because the pull-up is a full body exercise. You need your glutes to be in like strong glutes. You need a strong anterior core, even strong legs. So my program targets all of this. Perfect. And it was funny is yeah. like with pull-ups, especially everybody wants to cheat the movement. Like mm -hmm. I one time had to uh, do an assessment for a local hockey team here in Langley. And I had like 30 or 40 guys on the team. And one of the assessments was the pull up to see how many they did. And I told every single guy, no kipping, no swaying, <laughs> no like running man to get up there. And I said, if you do any of those things, you're just going to get a no count. Yeah. And, there was one guy who pulled out 13 just horrible pull-ups and none of them counted. I'm like, dude, I told you in the beginning, but it's it's so funny because it's also like an ego thing too that you can do so many, but then you break it down with all the cues that you just gave and they can maybe do like three perfect ones and they're like, wow, I'm really weak. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> but like when you were saying with, um, it's a full body exercise with glutes, I find that you know, if someone has a really strong pull-up game, they also have a really strong deadlift, and I think it kind of complements back and forth. Yeah, strong posterior chain, strong grip. Yeah, for sure. And even if oh, you... Oh, and that's, I do have some hinging variations in my program. Awesome. Yeah. And if you even look at, like, top athletes, like, their pulling power is so freaking strong. Like, I don't know if you follow the UFC, but I'm a big fan of George St. Pierre. Yeah. And um, his coach for a while was Jonathan Chamberg. And I remember watching a video of uh, GSP doing, I think it was three chin-ups with 150 pounds dropped to him. And I'm like, holy wow. shit, that is strong. Wow. And that's well, like, I have a Oh, sorry. I was just going to say that. And then his coach, Jonathan, was just saying, like, every athlete needs really strong pulling power. He's like, I could care less about how much they bench. Well, because so much of the fight, I mean, I have a client who is an MMA fighter. He's act, he possibly, like he's waiting to hear he might have qualified for UFC, which would be awesome. the coolest thing ever. And he's in his 30s, so he's older. But even with him, his pull-ups, he was doing what you described with your hockey guys at first. <laughs> Just like the horrible form. Yep. So I really, and he's really, he likes to learn. He totally listens to me. So I broke his form down and he went from doing a lot of really poor reps to very few high quality reps. And now he's up like he weighs like his fighting weight is a lot less than his regular weight. So when he was, I think a week before his fight, he was able to do 10, no problem, like really good form now because he's off, not off season, but he's between fights and the weight. I mean, he drops, he goes from about 215 to 185 is his weigh in weight, which is just nuts. <laughs> so he's struggling a bit more now just because obviously it's like doing pull-ups with an extra 15 or 20 pounds but his form is still really good and he always wants to do them properly. So what's your opinion about kipping pull-ups? It's a like a different movement. And if you're like, personally, I don't do them. I don't teach them. 
But if you are in CrossFit and obviously it's a comp- like, I guess, part of the form for some of the exercises, you need to learn how to do it. But if you cannot perform regular pull-ups, you should not be kipping. Yeah, totally. Like I think, and, sorry, go on. Oh, I was just going to say like a lot of regular, regular, a lot of people who go to CrossFit for the first time, if they're at a box where the coaching and programming is not necessarily the best, some of them are being taught to kip before they can even do regular pull-ups. And to me, that's totally wrong. I think the worst is seeing kipping pull-ups with the band. <laughs> oh, I've never, oh, never seen that. <laughs> yeah. I've seen a couple of videos. I'm like, that's just so wrong on so many levels. But what's interesting, I was listening to another podcast with a um, Olympic weightlifting coach for gymnastics, I think. And he, uh, they brought up the uh, topic of kipping pull-ups and he's like, just think about the movement. Like the moment the person comes down, his tendons and ligaments are not like ready for that kind of impact coming down because they don't even have the strength to pull up properly. Yeah. And now you have, say, if you're a 200 pound man, 200 pounds of force, sheer force going down onto the shoulder joint, he's like, shit is going to rip and it's not going to feel that great. <laughs> yeah. So it's like a specific skill that you have to learn. But in order to learn that skill, you need to have the requisite levels of strength, stability. You absolutely do need to be able to do pull-ups and good pull-ups before you kip. Yeah, I think. And the, I only promote it for CrossFit if you do CrossFit. Yeah, I think the only time kipping like you should learn is if you're trying to learn how to do muscle-ups because you almost need a little like, I don't, I wouldn't say kick, but just the momentum to get up yes. to that position. How, okay, are you able to do muscle-ups? Because I know you're freaking strong. That's what strong. I was just going to say. <laughs> I'm sure I'm strong enough to do them, but I have this mental block and I also do them strict, which I, I haven't kept before. So I can get myself up. I've done eight of them in a row, but I oh. always lead with my one arm. I'm not doing proper muscle ups and I get so mad at myself every time. And maybe once a year I think, Oh, I should try my muscle ups again. And then I just make the same mistakes over and over. Yeah, so I, no, I can't do good ones. I can do them, but just not good ones. Yeah, Cause I think the hardest part is when you get to like, that position where you have to get your elbows up and kind of do like the dip to press you up. That's where most people kind of get stuck. And then, yeah, they kind of go one shoulder at a time or do something That's else funky. Me. Yeah. And I think the same thing was that guy on that podcast who's a gymnastic coach. He said like, that's the most crucial part of the movement. And if you do it wrong, you can actually injure yourself. So he's like, build your back really freaking strong before you get to that point. Yeah, well, it's like you want to be like you you want your chest well over the bar before. Oh, yeah. And then you just go into the tri, like then you just press up. So that's a key. And you see them lean forward. They put like not like I'm an expert at teaching muscle up, so I won't even pretend that I am. <laughs> but you pull yourself up. You get way over the bar. I mean, some people, their belly, like their belly button is pretty much over the bar. And then they dip forward and then they press. Yeah. And they make it look so easy. I hate those people. I just get so <laughs> mad because I... I compare myself sometimes and my form is terrible so then I just I don't give up but I forget about it and for about a year and then I come back to it and like I'm no better than I was the year before I think it might be also like genetics like if they were you know at a young age their kid their parents put them in gymnastics they just kind of develop a lot faster than a kid that never did gymnastics kind of like those people that can just do backflips from standing and you're like 
I don't think I could ever do that. <laughs> I mean, I think with the muscle up, obviously you need to be, you have to be really strong, but so much of it boils down to technique. And that's where I go wrong. Cause I know, I think a lot of the stuff that I do is probably tougher than a muscle up yet. I can't do muscle ups. Well, <laughs> um, so the next question I wanted to get into is like for pull-ups, like for women, it's really, really hard. And I find that the moment for my clients, at least when they get their first pull-up or chin up and they're like super pumped about it and they're like, okay, now my goal is to get two, but now number two is so much harder because they're already fatigued from their first one. What's kind of the, I wouldn't say like programming, but what would your like tips be to kind of get that second one a little bit faster than anybody else just trying to do it on their own? Uh, one of the keys and I kind of covered it earlier, keeping the body as stable as possible because what you see, somebody might get up to the bar and they're thrilled. I mean, it's a huge accomplishment getting the one. But once they get their chin or chest to the bar or whatever they do, they think, oh, I'm done. Like I'm home free. So they do not control their body very well on the way down. They don't have the stability. They don't have the correct body positioning. So once again, rather than having the short, efficient pull, like the line to the bar, they're possibly swinging. They have that longer arc. So the distance is greater. That's obviously going to make it a lot tougher. They need to perform some of the other, I mean, keep performing the other regressions like that I have in the program or that a lot of other people use. Doing that, still build the upper body strength, focus on the core, like anterior core, the glutes, everything. Just keep working at it. But the biggest key for me is being able to own the eccentric, like the lowering portion of the lift and being stable once you hit the ball position. Because then it's much easier. You're, the line is shorter and you're also pulling like a rigid object versus dead weight, swinging dead weight. Do you like uh, flex arm hangs for building uh, pull-up strength? You can do that, the concentric hang. Yeah, for sure. Because I know like the I mean, RK scene strong first usually, I think that's one of their like assessments for women is like you just hold the top position of the pull-up or, like, or 90 degrees, I can't remember anymore. Um, essentially I do, you can do different, different positions. I like the top position and that's okay. in one of the first phases of my pro the concentric hang. So you get yourself up, you can either be already be at the level of the bar if you're not capable of pulling yourself up or you can pull yourself up and then hang in that position, stay in that position, focus on driving the shoulder blades into spine down towards the hips, keeping that full body tension and body positioning that will make a huge difference. Okay, fair so enough. So that's one. Eccentrics are awesome where you're obviously at the height of the bar, whether or not you jump or you're already there. Then you use the right, like the proper muscles to control your body as you slowly lower. So there's so many different tools you can implement. Perfect. Well, do you like just the pull-up position, but what about the like the chin-up position? Because like, I know a lot of people... I love I love both. Okay. And neutral grip as well. Do you find there's disadvantages or advantages in different grips at all? Uh, I like to use, I mean, in my program, the focus is on the pull-up, but using different grips is helpful. For one, you can train more frequently just because you are using, I mean, most of the same muscles are involved, but you also are using slightly different muscles and to a slightly different degree. So there's that. I mean, obviously chin-ups, they do involve a bit more biceps, so I don't personally, I don't do a lot of isolation exercises. I kind of use them as like Lee and I were talking about this recently, kind of just like the icing on the cake, like the reward exercises, but they do not make up the bulk of our programs. 
So me, I love chin-ups because they are a fairly good exercise for the biceps, yet it's a compound exercise and you're accomplishing so much at once. So I do do chin-ups. I like narrow grip chin-ups because it is even more bicep. There are those neutral grip pull-ups. They tend to be a more shoulder-friendly option for people who cannot do the wider pull-ups just because of possibly shoulder issues or elbow or... Yeah, there's always, there's many different options you can use. Yeah, I think it's just finding the one that feels the best because sometimes like I find a majority, it's usually guys that don't have the shoulder mobility to go overhead, but if you put them into that neutral position, like kind of a close grip chin up, they can actually do it without any pain. Exactly. Um, So I kind of wanted to shift gears because I think this question would be awesome for you to talk about and it would be great for people to listen and kind of get your experience about it but your experience coming out to the world and I know you had a lot of you know support from a lot of other coaches like Stuart McGill and I saw you post about that and I thought that was really cool so I thought you could maybe touch on that whole experience because I have never had anyone on the show talk about this topic before all right where would you like me to begin Um, so maybe like when you first maybe realized when you were younger and then how long it took you to, you know, finally state that, you know, to the world that you were ready to come out. Okay. Well, if I had been truly honest with myself, probably eighth grade, but when I, um, finally stopped, cause I mean, I was in relationships or dated guys from, well, I wouldn't really count high school, but grade eight until 20, I kind of blurred out some of those years, but like 25, 26 was the last time I had been with a guy. And so it was kind of a gradual transition. Um, at first, like you're in denial or at least I was, or was repressing or whatever I was doing. Then I kind of had one of those just like not to swear, but Holy fuck, I'm gay. And once I said that word, it was like, I couldn't even use that word to describe myself for so long. Part of it, I think, um, expectations I had for myself, maybe stereotypes. Also, I had a hard time because a lot of people knew me being with, having been with guys. So being with women or girls or whatever, it almost felt like I had been lying. I didn't want people to think that I'd been lying because being honest, being authentic is very important to me. Um, professionally was a lot harder just because when I, I don't know how old I was, I want to say maybe 25 or maybe it was a bit younger. I had a client, she was an older woman in her sixties, came in one day. This is a very good client. Somebody I was very close with. She came in one day and was really upset because her daughter, I think maybe in her early thirties, just broke up with the long-term boyfriend and was with another woman. So my client, she was really upset, just couldn't believe, I mean, she wasn't upset that her daughter was with another woman, but she was, I think she was just upset that the the daughter had uh, broken up with the boyfriend. So for months, I just listened to her. I never said a word about myself. Then I finally thought, maybe if I tell her about me, she'll realize we're normal. (laughs) I mean, obviously we are. So I ended up telling her and she seemed very relieved but that was the last time I saw her. She didn't return calls, my emails, nothing. And this was at a time I was young. I was still totally, I was not open at all. And I needed the money. 
So I just thought, oh my God, I said something to one person. I lost them. I have to keep this to myself. So for years, uh, professionally, I never said a word to anybody and it was extremely draining. Um, personally, it was a bit, I think I was in my, I mean, my early twenties, close friends knew kind of mid twenties. It was like our soccer league's like a total, like gossip cesspool. So like the whole <laughs> league knew about that. I mean, and I mean, I wasn't totally guiltless of gossiping because people would always speculate who was and who wasn't. It's so bad. So, I mean, I knew people had been gossiping about me. Um, and that, that transition coming out, it never happened at once. It's always gradual. And, and to this day, I mean, I still am always coming out. There's somebody like if I'm getting to know them and it's relevant and I respect them, I will tell them. Because a lot of people, they don't know, they don't assume. I mean, to some people, it's very obvious, but others, they have absolutely no idea. And uh, the big one, probably the one that you want uh, to know about. Professionally, I had that coming out blog called Owning It. The reason, I mean, I'd been thinking about writing it for a really long time. But after the nightclub shooting in Orlando, I just thought to myself, I am able to live like I'm able to... Um, I should be able to live freely. I have no pressure. The only person who is preventing me from living openly and freely is myself because I had a lot of support. So I just said, and I said this on another podcast, it was just kind of a fuck it moment. I wrote this post. I had a few friends uh, read it just to get their opinion. I probably proofread it like a thousand times. I just kept doubting myself. Then finally I just shared it. And that's when everything changed for the better, just in my professional life. So thank you for one sharing that. Cause I know like it can be hard, but did like, how, how did your parents feel when you told them? Oh my, well, this is funny. My mom had been asking me for years. Cause I mean, she, she totally knew that I was, and she always said, um, you know, like if you or your brother ever decide, I mean, she knows obviously it's not a choice, but if you decide that you're gay, I will totally be so supportive and so happy. Not like she talked in that voice, but for whatever reason, um, cause I mentioned my dad, like, I don't have a good relationship with him at all, but back in the day, I remember this, and this is what prevented me from telling my mom for a really long time. She said, because she had known me being with guys. And I guess even though she's like the most, uh, open-minded, amazing person ever. She'd see me with guys. She always just assumed that's what I was into. So she said, if you ever decide that you're gay, I will totally think it's because of the relationship that I had with your dad. So to me, I was like, oh no. So like, I didn't want to tell her because I did not want her to blame herself, even though she made it perfectly clear she would be very happy and supportive. So when I finally told her, I remember... This is, it was so bad too. It was on one of my birthdays and I made myself my birthday present. How they portray it that, you know, if, if someone's gay, that they have this like huge coming out announcement and now they're all like happy about it. But from your perspective, like you're only telling people if they deserve it. And I think that's kind of cool. Partly that, but then I mean, also, I mean, I have a lot of people on social media, not like I'm that popular, but I do have a lot that I don't know. So it's more me just for my own freedom, just being able to live authentically. And I think, and actually as Stu said in our messages, like I said, one of the coolest messages I've ever received, just being open and sharing my story hopefully will help other people. And that is largely why I did it. 
just because, I mean, back in the day, there weren't very many open people in the fitness industry and really there still aren't. Yeah. Not a lot. So that's kind of why I felt not like it was my duty, but I thought it was a good thing for me to do. And it was a lot easier to do than I thought. And I wish I'd done it a lot sooner. No, you're definitely paving the way for a lot of people because I, I know it's tough for people to kind of announce it and they're kind of worried about um, what's going to happen. And I think I actually saw a video of, it was like a, a text message where these two best friends in high school, the one kid was wanted to text him to tell him that he was gay and he was like really scared that he, he they were not going to be best friends anymore. And then the best friend's like, yeah, dude, I known for a long time. And he's like, are we still friends? He's like, Oh yeah, usually most do. <laughs> yeah. So what could I think you... I might have seen that. Well Oh, sorry? I was just gonna say, like, did you have anyone kind of help you along the way to kind of like reassure you that everything was gonna be okay? I had a lot of friends who were supportive, a lot of teammates, uh a few coworkers, even before kind of like the coming out blog. I've been open with a lot of my clients for many years. Um, and same thing, it was kind of gradual. If it was relevant, if I felt like I was going out of my way to hide who I was, because when I was not living openly, and I'm sure a lot of people can relate to this, you become very proficient at using different words to mask. For example, say I say I was or whatever, you can, you become very good at making it. So nobody has any clue about the gender. And I was just so fed up with doing that. I'm just like, oh my God, this is so ridiculous. And it is so exhausting. So when I caught myself doing that, I'm just like, once again, I'm just like, fuck this. And I would, if it was relevant, I would tell somebody, like tell a client. And usually every time I spoke up or said something, our relationship dramatically improved on the spot, which has also been really cool. That's awesome. Yeah. But you know, like, I think that's a new thing that you're starting to see now is a lot of more transparency on with good coaches online. Yeah. And uh, I think that's what people want to see and not just like perfect picture off Instagram with all the filters and shading of your six pack, but showing who you really are and people just gravitate towards that more. Yeah, for sure. Being authentic, not I mean, it's not like you owe it to anybody to show who you are, but it also is very refreshing when people are open and authentic about everything, like anything really, not just about this, this yeah. topic. Um, do you have any like advice for someone who's kind of, you know, on the edge of maybe coming out or keeping it to themselves? Like what would you tell somebody that's contemplating? Well, I mean, it's so hard just because in my situation, my biggest obstacle was me. I was the only person who was holding myself back. Other people, they might risk losing a job or they might have a really, uh, their family, they might be religious or extremely judgmental. Find people who are supportive. They're not, it's friends, family members, coworkers. Um, I was trying to think. So that, just reach out for support. If you're trapped in a situation where you might lose your job, can you find something else? Can you move? But my key thing is support. I mean, support is everything. Yeah, I think so too. Um, for maybe the last question, I think this would be kind of cool. This is the first time I 
even like would bring this out on my podcast because I just came up with it this morning when I was walking my dog. No, it's not anything (laughs) stupid or anything, but I think um, what I'm going to start doing is asking every guest this, but what's your spirit animal and why? Oh, that's a good question. I'm going to say cats because they're loving or even maybe... Yeah, probably cats, loving, gentle, like I am loving, I'm strong, but I'm very gentle and independent because I am independent. Perfect. I'd say tigers, but tigers aren't necessarily sweet or friendly and I'm sweet and friendly and (laughs) yeah, so I'll say a cat. There you go. And you should probably post more pictures of your cat on Facebook. (laughs) Well, I did write an article for one of my affiliates for my pull-up program and I think I might have gotten Eric a guest spot in the article. My cat, Eric, the big guy. Awesome. The big, yeah. We'll see. Yeah. That would be great. Because um, he likes cats. The guy at Tony, he yeah. loves cats. So I got Eric. Hopefully Eric will be in there. Perfect. Um, so very last question, because I know you have to leave soon. But where can people find you online? Uh, when you, does your pull-up program drop? And do you have any other projects in the next future coming up? You can find me. I mean, probably best place to find me is Facebook. I'm on Instagram, but I mean, I'm not that serious on it. My website is megancallowayfitness.com. I do have a website for my pull-up program, but I'm not releasing it until I launch on Tuesday. Um, sorry, what else was there? Uh, and any other projects do you have coming ah, up? Well, I mean, there's this pull-up program, obviously. I have a couple um, possible. I have this that's kind of scary for me. It's not a project. But I'm terrified of public speaking, and I agreed to public speak. It's not until April, so I have that to prepare for at a conference in Spokane. So I'm going to be doing that, possibly some different seminars, possibly I have a few different book ideas with some friends. Um, You were going to ask me about nutrition, and I do have a bit more time. Okay. If you have time. Yeah, we can totally drop into nutrition if you like. Um, so I think my question was like what your take on nutrition is, cause there's so many different, you know, avenues to go down. Cause there's, you know, the people that are all about macros, all about calories, all about habits. So what's kind of your take on it? Well, I mean, obviously if somebody's trying to lose fat, you need the caloric deficit, but people need to do what works best for them and what they can sustain. So that's my biggest thing. And there's all these different diets that are out there and so many people you have to do this or that or that you have to figure out what works best for you obviously trial and error you can go do different things but as long as what helps you to achieve your goals feel good and that also I find does not rob you from having a life because so many of these diets that are out there you cannot socialize you're just constantly obsessed that's not fun for you but it's also not fun for people to be around yeah so that's part, I mean, I keep it pretty simple. I also do like to keep my training and my nutrition relatively separate. So I send a promoter, I love her. I send all of my nutrition related inquiries to Lee Peel. So, I mean, she's amazing. You already know that. Yeah. And she's better, much better at that and much more knowledgeable than I am. So I do send every, pretty much everyone to her. Nice. Yeah, like yeah. I, th- I think the big thing you said is just to like feel good and have a social life because yeah, so many diets out there just restrict everything, <laughs> and then you're like, why am I even doing this? And even I mean, look at us—we had donuts. I would love <laughs> yeah. to go back there soon. I'm craving that so much. 
Oh, we'll have to take Lee when she comes to Vancouver. Well, she said she's coming. I don't know when yet, but she said she's going to come and stay with me, and we will definitely go to Honey's. There you go. That'll be awesome. That's <laughs> what it's called, the donut shop, for anybody yeah. who wants to know. Yeah, Honey's has the best freaking donuts in Vancouver, I have to say. <laughs> oh, they're so good. But actually, there was another place I've been to. So if you ever have time, there is a list called like the 100 best restaurants in Vancouver. Ooh. And I tried to tackle as many as possible in one day. And I think my wife and I got through like 17 of them in one day. <laughs> Holy jeez. But it was like the list would have like one thing you need to have on their menu and we would just share it together. So we just like, you know, took one whole day and just did it. But um, I wasn't able to go into this coffee shop, but they also had these like gourmet donuts and they have like these different flavors. And I think the one that we got was an Earl Grey tea donut. And it was literally oh. one of the best donuts I've ever had. Probably as good as Honey's, but they have like, really? like flavor induced ones. And I didn't, I didn't get a chance to go in because I was driving and there was no parking that I, I could get into. So I just got my wife to like jump out of the car and then go order while I circled the block. But man, that do those donuts were so good too. <laughs> was there ice? Was there icing? Yeah, there was like um, kind of like a sugary glaze over top. And Ooh. I guess in the glaze was like the flavor of the Earl Grey tea. And it was, oh, my God. It was so good. I'm all about icing. And that's actually funny. I was talking to my mom yesterday. She was for some reason was wondering about Timbits. And she's like, did you know there's 150 calories per Timbit, which is not true. That's actually not true at all. But we were talking about donuts versus muffins. And so many people, they think muffins or sorry, muffins are healthy. If you want, if you're going for taste, I mean, and for calories and all that, and often sugar, donuts are a lot lower than most muffins. Oh, yeah, 100%. Look, the muffin is so big. That's the thing. So big, but I mean, there's a lot of sugar. There's a lot of fat. They're very dense as well. I mean, donuts are kind of more airy. Not yeah. like I'm a donut expert or anything. <laughs> muffins are more dense. So, I mean, like they don't even taste good unless it's the double chocolate muffin, yeah. which I admit I do have sometimes. I want nothing to do with muffins. I want donuts. Yeah, I, I would go down the donut route or a cupcake. Cupcakes are pretty freaking awesome. Oh, I don't. What was the that gourmet cupcake shop? I know they had it on Denman. I can't remember. It was like the pink awning. I can't remember either, but I think I know what you're talking about. Oh, so good. I remember I used to play co-ed soccer and it was somebody's birthday and they brought a big, huge box of the cupcakes. And I think I had three of them. I felt so <laughs> sick after, That's but awesome. they were so good and they had so many different flavors that I just needed to try every single one. Now, the, I think the important question here is how do you eat your cupcake? Because there's actually a specific way how cupcakes are supposed to be eaten, actually. Uh, well, one thing I do sometimes when I eat is I save my favorite thing for last. So I usually eat the bottom part first and then eat the icing last because that's my favorite. <laughs> I think Which the is icing totally is like, not yeah. proper. <laughs> so I never knew this, but my wife told me this because she saw like an article about it. But the <laughs> apparently how you're supposed to eat a cupcake is you take off the bottom piece and you put it on top of the icing. So now it's a, like a little sandwich. And I was like, what? Oh. Really? And I was like, I never knew this. And I'm like, it makes so much sense because now like most people will just like bite into the cupcake and they have like frosting on their nose. Everything's falling <laughs> yeah. apart. But I'm like, that makes so much sense because like, you know, it's almost like a muffin tin at the bottom. You just rip that off, put it on top. I'm like, oh, that makes so much sense. Oh, my God. That's hilarious. Oh, I just realized were people supposed to be writing in with questions? 
Uh, yeah, but I didn't see anybody put anything down. It's more like <laughs> people will like and be like, share the post. But I never, know. Like, never take comment. the time. Yeah. And then that is true. I get it's so funny because I sometimes when I post it, I'll get like questions like, oh, can you ask her this? I'm like, you know, I already recorded this, right? They're like, oh, <laughs> OK. But it, no, it's, that's it, it's good. Rare. I was worried about some of the questions. I'm like, oh, no, what are they going to ask me? Ah, you'll be fine, even if we did. But um, I think only like every time I've had someone on, I would maybe get one or two questions. And out of like, I don't know, the 70 people I've interviewed, maybe three of them actually got questions. Even if you look at like Kevin Larrabee's posts, sometimes people don't even, you know, write down anything, even if he had like John Berardi on his show. But I think it's a lot of times like people are scrolling through their feed and they're like, oh, I have to type something. I'm just going to like it instead. And then they just scroll <laughs> Oh, I can be guilty of that too. Or my mom, sometimes I'll be over there and she's like, literally like, I'll be on my phone and my phone, my, my, my newsfeed is blowing up with likes. I'm like, what the heck? Who's liking all my stuff? And I look over and it's her just like tap, tap, tap. And I'm like, are you even reading what I've posted? And she's like, well, I'm just liking it. So like, really? So she'll go down people's newsfeeds and just like, like things without even reading it. Yeah. That's the tough thing. Cause like, you'll even client my clients are guilty of this where they're like oh did you hear about this thing and i'm like oh what did the article say it's like oh i didn't read it i just saw it on facebook (laughs) it's just like she's also new to facebook so she's kind of um oh my gosh she'd kill me if i told this is pretty funny you know how sometimes you'll get a message saying like oh like there's a spammer or like this look out for this person they've done this if they ever contact you don't reply or something yeah so she got some message from her cousin so of course it had to be it had to be legitimate saying that there was this hacker named so-and-so on Facebook and to warn all of your friends about him so so I I remember I was really tired I was lying on my couch I got a message from my mom a forward talking about this hacker to avoid so I messaged her back and I'm like you know messages like this are a hoax uh, like don't and then I knew she'd sent it to other friends of mine because we have a few like Lee Peel, Katie, uh, a few other friends of mine are friends of hers as well. So I'm like, oh, no, like I knew she'd sent them the messages. So I kind of I didn't get mad, but I kind of gave her a hard time. And she, what I found out had happened. She has once she retired. I mean, she was a really popular teacher. She has over eleven hundred friends on her Facebook and oh, she's geez. relatively I know. She's relatively new. So what she had done, she literally manually copied and pasted this message to all of her friends. Oh, no. Because, I know, because she wanted to warn them that she was legitimately concerned. So I felt so badly. I was laughing so hard just, like, thinking about her, like, cutting and pasting this post to 1,100 people. Uh, yeah, and I mean... Taking the whole day to do it. <laughs> she said it took her at least a couple hours, and I felt so horrible, oh, but then I laughed so hard after just thinking about this, like how cute it was and how naive she is. Yeah. Actually, this could be a good question, is what do you hate seeing on Facebook in our industry? Uh, okay. Let me think about that. I don't like posts where people are making fun of others. I don't okay. like that. I mean... Even back in the day, like, you know, those stupid videos, like where they're film. Oh, it's actually worse if somebody is doing this themselves, filming something, somebody in the gym or sorry, filming something of somebody doing an exercise in the gym that might be like a bad exercise or whatever, but they film somebody, post the video and then mock them. I mean, that's 
completely unacceptable. There's that. I don't like posts where people make black and white statements a lot of the time. Yeah. Like saying like, this is horrible. Like you should only be doing this. I don't like posts like that. I don't like fear mongering posts. I am sick of a lot of the political posts. I mean, yes, I have certain beliefs and I definitely prefer to see certain posts over others. But the election, that was hard. It was hard being on social media oh, a lot yeah. of the time. That was really bad. Uh, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of good. There is a lot of bad, but there is a lot of good. So I try to focus on that. And I also did. I called it a bit of a detox. I went on my wall or like in my friend, sorry, through my friends list. And I deleted or sorry, I didn't delete. I unfollowed people who posted uh, a lot of the stuff that I just mentioned but then if I see anybody posting anything that's remotely racist, hateful, homophobic, they're gone. Like I delete and block yeah. them just be no time for people like that. I don't want to work, like do business with people like that. I just want positive people on my newsfeed, even if we don't necessarily agree on certain things. I just want respect people who are respectful. Yeah, like the political stuff gets annoying after a while because it's, it's usually like one person that would post every single day. And I'm like... Yeah, I'm going to stop following you now. <laughs> I had to unfollow somebody. And one day I was so curious because my entire newsfeed was this person posting. I won't say what she was posting, but it was during the election and it was anti somebody who I don't necessarily like as well or I really yeah. don't like. And so she, I count, I was just curious. I counted. I went onto her page and I counted how many posts she shared in the day. She shared over 100 posts, these political posts. So I'm like, you have to be kidding me. I'm like, obviously that's time consuming, but people do not need to see this pick and choose, maybe pit post one, maybe post two even, but a hundred. So I unfollowed her. Yeah. that's. Way I mean, too I just much. don't like <laughs> negativity. And then just people who are redundant and just post the same stuff over and over. I love people who post animal po videos and pictures. I could look at those all day long. I don't care if you post multiple in a day. I love that. I have time for that. I just like nice, positive, and respectful posts and educational posts. Yeah. And I think like, you know, we just need more animal photos on Facebook. So anybody out there with animals, you got to start posting those all the time and filter uh out the stupid stuff. <laughs> Seriously. And even, I mean, on Instagram, I've added a bunch more animal, a lot of foster, like foster kittens. There's really, really cute um, Instagram pages that are foster kittens. Oh, nice. So last night, like I was just, I've been working so hard on this launch and I admit I'm really tired. And last night I was just feeling a bit stressed out. So I seriously went on my Instagram and just looked at pictures and videos of cute kittens. And it made me feel so much better. Oh, yeah, 100%. Like, that's huge for mental health. Because if you compare, like, you going through your feed of just political posts, what's going on in North Korea, what's happening here, this person got shot, you, it's, like, draining. And then you're horrible. like, wow, yeah. the world's horrible. But it's, like, if you followed other pages and kind of took the time to set your settings where you only see, you know, the pages that you like with animals or whatever else you're into, you're going to feel a lot better every single day. <laughs> Well, this is also funny. Um, I don't know how I ended up finding this. I found um, it was a random blogger talking about, uh, I can't remember her exact words, and I f uh, share very few political posts, 
I've shared maybe like in the course of my time on Facebook, even over the last few years, I've shared a few, maybe five or 10, and they were mainly all about equality, like pro-equality, stuff like that. Just love is love. I'm not pushing my beliefs or whatever on anybody, but I just shared a few of these posts that were meaningful to me and to others. So I found this random blogger who was talking about how much she loves me and my work, but she's hesitant to share because I can get quite political, she said. And she doesn't care for my take on gay marriage. She doesn't care. She just wants to know about fitness. And so I was mad. And other people who pretty much only post fitness or like educational posts, they might share something. I won't name one of these people. He never posts anything political. He shared something from the New Yorker about uh, climate change. And he had all these total dicks in comment and be like, unfollow, unfollow. I'm like, are you serious? Wow. So I wrote in the comment section, I'm like, are you seriously? I'm like this person, he provides nothing but helpful, educational, awesome content. And he chooses to share something that is important to him and is important in general. And you unfollow him. I'm like, he deserves better. And honestly, it's his, or it's your loss, not his. So I kind of got mad about that one. But what I did, um, I was kind of annoyed as well when this person wrote about me. So, and I knew she followed me on Facebook and I don't know who, like I couldn't figure out who she was, but based on her blog, she obviously follows me on Facebook. So I copied, I took a screenshot of her blog, cut out the address because I did not want to bring any traffic to her site, but I posted it and I try not to go on rants too often, but I just said, I mean, we are more than fitness robots who just pump out free information. We have opinions and we are entitled to share them if we do so respectfully. And so I'm sure she unfollowed me, but I was just appalled that somebody would do that. Yeah, no one's like open anymore where like, hey, this is my opinion. Oh, cool. That's awesome. Here's my opinion. And then your friends like that doesn't happen anymore. No. And I mean, I have so much respect for people in the industry and people in general who do share their opinion when it's done respectfully, intelligently. I love it. Like I love people who are authentic and speak their mind. Definitely. Um, for sure. So I need to wrap this up because I need to get ready for a call with Krista Scott Dixon, actually, because she's going to be coming to Vancouver. So I can like probably announce this, but on November 13th, I think. And uh, we're going to go on a call pretty soon here so we can work out the logistics because I think she's going to do like a three hour presentation on some sort of nutrition or something. And I don't know yet if it's going to be for the general population or or if it's going to be for just coaches. So that's going oh, to be wow. kind of cool, yeah. Let me know. Yeah, so it's going to be in Kitsilano at RYU. Oh, sweet. Yeah, but I'll, I'll keep you updated on that. Awesome. Yeah, let me know. Uh, so I just want to thank you for all your time. This was amazing. Thank you for having me. And I probably was more open with this one or on this podcast than I have been today. So You're getting better, I don't right? know if that's a good thing or not, but... <laughs> All right, so that's going to wrap up episode 78 with Megan Calloway. And here's the second sales pitch for you guys. Go buy Megan's pull-up program with the link in the show notes and the link that I'm going to put into the actual post on Facebook, Instagram, and everything else. And hopefully you learned a thing or two how to improve, up, improve your pull-up game. And we'll catch you guys next week. 